Hello and welcome to Hussy Talk episode number two. So the funniest thing about that intro is I have attempted to record this four times now and that was the most fluent I have done it and the fact that I remembered it's actually only episode two because we're not counting the intro as an episode. We are just moving swiftly on to episode number two. So as we agreed on Instagram... Um, my next episode was going to be about positive body image, how we attain this, and sort of, I guess, the issues surrounding uh, sport and this kind of overemphasis on what an athlete's body should look like, the implications of that being um, eating disorders, body image disorders, um, some pretty negative and not very nice stuff. Has it if it goes wrong, excuse me, on my little stutter there. Um, so when we talk about having positive body image, I think a lot of the studies and a lot of the literature talks about, um, we only kind of look at this issue when it's a pretty much far gone issue. There's not a lot of preventative measures in place or positive psychology and the positive psychology of bodies in sport has only really just started to come out in the last this is a reach, 10 years, I would say probably in the last five years. So obviously it is a fairly new branch of sport and exercise psychology. It's also a very important branch of sport and exercise psychology going into more futuristic or more technological advances that allow us to see, you know, routine routines and races, like, well, instantly, and if not instantly, very soon after on YouTube, um, in which, you know, it would kind of historically be performance analysis that would only really get their hands on this sort of videos um, in order to kind of deconstruct, you know, the race, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, what they like, look at the stride, blah, blah, blah. Um, Now it's very much at the disposal for pretty much everyone to have an opinion on that athlete's body, which is something that kind of enrages me because I personally have come from a very aesthetic sport and I I say it's funny it's not funny it's funny now because I'm like how did I not realize that gymnasts were some of the most at-risk individuals of developing eating disorders um and I only found that out (laughs) when I came to uni um so obviously being I was it god when when I started gymnastics I was like five so five till 16 I obviously was involved in gymnastics and managed to get to a couple of national finals. So I was very much, if if I was to be judged by anybody that meant or was of any importance, I I had been judged by them. Or I had at least been looked at by them at the very least. Um, And that's pretty terrifying considering what people think is acceptable and is not acceptable in gymnastics. So, coming from a very aesthetic-based background, um, I can tell you it is horrendous <laughs> to be judged. Um, on multiple occasions, I was told I was too big. Um, I was told my legs were too big. I was told I had legs like a racehorse once, and I think I was about 14 years old. And now, I mean, that's something I take great pride in now. But back then, I didn't really know, like, girls used to take the the piss out of me because, you know... I was hencher than most guys, definitely most guys in my year and the year above that and the year above that. Um, I could out press up them. I could out run them. Like I could just do, I was pretty fit basically. Um, so I had the girls telling me I'd look too much like a man. And then when I went to gymnastics, I had 
you know, people telling me, coaches telling me that I was not quite muscular enough, wasn't lean enough. Um, so it was, it's obviously, in a 14-year-old's head, it's very conflicting what they're supposed to know what to do. And at that point in time, all I wanted to do was gymnastics. All I wanted to do was perform and be on a national team and, you know, just be like every single person I've ever watched growing up. I idealised so many gymnasts. And I remember I would go to bed at night and be like, if I could just be that, if I could just be on the team or if I could just, you know, if I had the status of an elite gymnast, I would never be unhappy ever again. I would be sold. I would be done. You know, like that was my life. That's all I ever wanted. So literally when teachers used to tell me like, Anushka, you don't have time for boyfriends. I was like, oh, honey, I already know. I already know. I don't want one. (laughs) Still don't want one. Uh, what are we six years later so you know we're still out here it's all good so (laughs) when we talk about achieving positive body image there's a hell of a lot in our way um coming like I say coming from an aesthetic based sport I can tell you there's a hell of a lot of opinions in the way um there's a hell of a lot of stereotypes there there's kind of these pre-existing beliefs that need to just be taken outside to the bin get in please because they're bs they are absolute bs and it's as an ex-athlete it's heartbreaking to me because i see some of these girls now who bearing in mind like i've been retired for six years they've been retired actually a little bit longer that it still affects them and it still affects me to this day but in so much less subtle ways because I proactively have been on top of things. And I think that in that sentence, it's like, I've been proactively on top of things to take care of issues that were put in place that actually weren't my fault. You know, like I never really, as a kid, I remember growing up and never really looking at myself and being like, oh, she's a bit chubby or I don't really like this about myself or, you know, I don't, or I eat too much whatever whatever it was I never really remember thinking that in fact I ate horrifically growing up I would eat McDonald's three four times a week everything that I had at home was all shop bought none of it was really ever made from scratch um that that is not a dig at my mum by the way I was the pickiest eater and I would only ever eat chicken nuggets so it's less a dig at my mum as it is just kind of like conceptualizing what I actually did eat and it was of little to no nutritional value um but yeah I seemed to be at my happiest it was only when people started to tell me you know you need to start looking at this because you're looking you know this or people won't like you because of this that I really kind of a, a shift occurred really in my mind about you know needing to be smaller to be liked or needing to be smaller to be a champion and and it was those links that I made in my mind that are deeper than any other sort of kind of inference that's made about what eating disorders are so initially when I first started learning about them I to be honest I didn't realize I had one until I saw a doctor when I was like 17 um and initially when I started learning about it, it was very much like, you don't like the way you look, therefore you eat less. And that is a very uh, reductionistic way of looking at them, at eating disorders. I mean, they're highly complex and they involve so many emotions and so many maladaptive cognitions and therefore behaviours and it's dependent on so many things, on culture, on, you know, like how, how influential is culture in eating disorders is a massive question because for example some of the studies I've, I've been looking at 
in preparation for this episode. Uh, say, for example, De Bruin et al. in 2018 talked about how they interviewed a, uh, I believe she was a rower, um, but they interviewed many different girls um, about uh, like their eating disorders. And there was um, a couple from judo. There was some from weight-based sports. So like weightlifting, for example, who where you need to be in a certain weight category to compete um, and gymnastics and figure skating and all these sorts of types of sports that revolve around body image and your weight, essentially. Um and one girl said that she was so aware that there was a difference between what a socially ideal body image is and what the athlete body ideal is. And that discrepancy is the cause for a lot of, um, well, frustration at the earliest. And then obviously as it develops, a lot of kind of like hatred towards yourself. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because it just proves that you are not this kind of singular organism that just thinks in a single way you are very much part of a wider functioning um society and you're aware of that and you know that but you know that sometimes the way you feel isn't necessarily the way you're meant to feel so culture has a huge huge influence on the development and onset of these eating disorders a lot of the time we look at uh, we see a lot more eating disorders in countries that are quite individualistic so it's like for your own gain you know you've got to be doing this you should be doing this you should be looking like this uh, we see it a lot more whereas collectivist cultures kind of focus on the wider aims of that particular population and if that's not in their interest there's not a lot of influence placed on that so here in the uk for example we're quite an individualistic country um we're very almost like i don't want to say cold because i'm not trying to paint this in a bad light but we are very much focused on ourselves and focused on what we can gain for ourselves in going forward. Um, so we do see quite a lot of eating disorders in this country. It's a lot more talked about at the same time because we see a lot more of it. So I guess that's silver lining, but even still, you can see it's easier to see where these instances occur. Also, these kind of like negative ideals are institutionalized in some cultures such as the UK. Um, so subtly that we don't even know, to be honest, we're even doing them. I know my mum would always be like, no, I'll only have half a chocolate bar, or I'll only have like half a biscuit because then I'm being good. Whereas that's not actually, <laughs> that's not actually giving a holistic image of what good or healthy eating behaviours are. It is very much this fear-mongering aspect of don't eat the whole thing because you're not allowed that. And that's, that's, that's exactly the sorts of behaviours we want to get away from. But obviously... A lot of these behaviours are actually institutionalised in a linguistic sense, at least. We've obviously seen this with a massive um, scandal at the moment that's happened within gymnastics. And I, for one, can totally agree and I 100% back up every single claim made by these girls in this ongoing investigation that it is very much ingrained in you in the subtlest of ways that you should not be over a certain weight you are name called and you are given extra conditioning how are you seen to gain any sort of weight for example i remember training i would sometimes in secondary school uh go to early morning training obviously before school and and then slightly during school to my chemistry teacher's um despair and um, then i would obviously leave sometimes halfway through the day so i would literally be at school for like two hours uh, and go back to training um and in that time obviously you can't eat very much and i remember my coach at the time kind of being really involved and 
like really obsessed with what I was eating. Um, and I was just a bit like, oh, well, like luckily, I say luckily, I'd been to another club that hadn't also been very great. <laughs> um, but I'd been to another club that basically didn't care at all. Like they used to supply Harry Bows to us in competition and they just didn't really care. So luckily I had seen this other perspective, you know, where food was kind of not unimportant but it was very much just you need it as fuel to get through what you need to do and then I come to a second club where I sometimes would train eight hours a day and I remember once because I'm just an idiot right this is the only reason <laughs> that I did this Um, I'd only remembered and I think I even had to owe the cafe money where I used to train um, because I forgot my lunch and it was like summertime and we were doing obviously like ridiculously long training sessions, like eight hours, eight, nine hours a day. Um, and I only had a banana and a breakfast bar or something like that, or like a yogurt or something to eat in between training sessions. And I remember my coach coming over to me and being like, well, that's all you should eat. And I was like, we're doing like an elite program, eight hour training session every single day for the six weeks in the summer holidays. And all I should eat in between that training session was a banana and a breakfast bar. And I mean, fair enough back then, like there was many different things going on in my life where I would have just been like, yeah, you're right. Like I just didn't have the mental capacity to be like, that's wrong, don't be a dick basically. Um, but I didn't. But now if somebody told me that's all I could eat, I I, I don't even know what I'd do. Like I, I genuinely, I think I'd just order like, like an Uber Eats, like a Mackey's or something just to just to annoy them. Because, like, that's that, that's not okay. Like, I was f maybe 13, 14. Like, you have to be eating more than that. And as we know from the um, other implications of, say, eating disorders, we know about the female athlete triad, we know that if we encourage this sort of, these eating behaviours in, in young children and young women, it's been predominantly uh, looked at. But actually, there has been a lot of research on men that I will get into, which is really interesting. Um, but we look specifically at the female athlete triad, we know it will cause this kind of loss of bone density where basically if you do not fix it and you cannot overcome it, which it sounds very doom and gloom, but it is, like it needs to be stressed, it is very serious. You will basically be led to early onset osteoporosis. And that's terrifying. Like that is really scary to know that what I did to my body at 15 years old could, well, be accountable for the stress fractures that I had in my spine for all the little tiny injuries that I've had because my body was not able to fix itself that that is terrifying so it really can't be underplayed the idea of um you know like small little throwaway comments that um coaches make are not small throwaway little comments like they can lead to bigger things and coaches need to learn to basically restrain themselves from saying things and secondly if they have to restrain themselves from saying it, maybe they should question whether they should be being a coach at all. Because when I became a coach, and I'm not gonna try and act all holier than thou, and because I definitely had my bad days and the girls definitely saw it, um, but if I, I would never, I never at any point thought to say something about a girl's physical appearance because I was having a bad day, you know? Like, that to me doesn't make any sense. And coaches really, really, really need to realize that in order to be a coach, you have a safeguarding responsibility. And that safeguarding responsibility is not just protecting children against others from abuse. It is protecting them and preventative measures and also setting boundaries. Like, I'm sorry that like coaches should not be saying these things to girls. 
unless it is an actual question of physical being physically unhealthy um you know and it's kind of gotten to a point where it's like look it is affecting your performance is there any way we can help you um i think we should do this blah 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 then that's also very important but telling a girl based on your opinions or a guy for that matter of fact um purely you you are judging by the stereotypes of that sport uh that's where it needs to be recognized that that is not an efficient way or an appropriate use of coaching abilities um but like i say there are many ways to go about this and jesus telling telling somebody they're too fat is, is not one of them because it's not doing any help for anybody um so that was my little rant i hope you enjoyed it um <laughs> but when we look at body positivity or body image in a wider context in terms of all sports we need to look at what the stresses are if we're going to look at preventative measures. We need to look at what the stresses are uh, for those athletes in this particular time frame. Because athletes now are experiencing things that athletes 20 years ago were not. Um, sport in itself is continually evolving uh like whether that is to what audiences it brings in the type of money it brings in its societal value etc etc thankfully for the olympics i really hope that sport will also always be necessary and to be honest it's a necessity for life to get up and move so hopefully it will always remain relevant um but the different stresses that we experience nowadays as opposed to like 20 30 years ago heavily revolve around the media um so it was before the media would kind of just like report scores maybe or report doing uh, like maybe perhaps a routine or a placement of somebody that's finished a, a prestigious competition. Now we look at very much kind of being able to get our hands on actual sporting events, like hours of, of, of full events. Obviously they're like hours long. We'll look at like hours or even instantly. When you look at the CrossFit Games, they, they broadcast that on YouTube. Um or you know they've then they've got a series on Netflix or you look at gymnastics like when i first started gymnastics you would have to wait a very very long time to be able to watch any sort of gymnastics uh, on tv or on online it was very much like i remember the first time they put some like, a world championships it must have been a european championships I believe it was 2014 uh, that I saw on on TV, and even then they obviously cut bits out, and to watch like the full uninterrupted thing is is still quite a rarity. Um, they're probably like specialist channels to look at it, but unless you know about them, you're not going to see it basically. Um, but now we look at it, and you can within minutes you can see that routine online. And obviously this is, I mean, it's good because it means people who really support the sport, that would have been a mouthful, um, can look at it very quickly. You know, they get to see their favourite athletes perform. They get to know what they've done. They get to know their score. They get to compare with other scores, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it also does leave a lot of room for opinions. Um, and that's something I'm not so pleased of. Having had a couple of friends that have been targets of online abuse and you know just, just just crappy people um that's not fun at all um so we look at it from a point of view of how how are we going to prevent this well we're not going to prevent this from happening everyone's going to have an opinion and facebook is always going to be a thing unfortunately but how do we kind of create this bubble almost that we can put athletes in so that they could be resilient to the kind of sorts of negative abuse or 
I don't think any abuse is positive. That was word vomit right there for you. Um, but sorts of abuse that's going to come their way. So, like I said earlier, heavily dependent on culture. Also heavily dependent on individual differences. Um, anxiety or high anxious individuals will generally suffer obviously more with body related disorders if that is where their anxiety takes hold um and obviously high trait anxiety individuals that will take hold i think the first thing to do is if if this is going to be kind of like a self-help thing i don't want to do the classic like draw a picture of yourself and label what you think because it's you can't um you can't like expand that to the wider world you can't make associations with that and be like oh that must be why i feel this um it's you're almost looking at a bit of like a cognitive behavioral therapy sort of thing uh where you identify that kind of like negative self-talk and then you can therefore then make links with those feelings like if you have a general low feeling you can associate those two to kind of give you an idea of why you may be feeling that way and then perhaps you could then link that to your behaviors so preventative measures positive psychology is what we want to focus on more now so in the literature there's a lot of kind of like it's like wait till the last minute wait till it's really bad until that person is literally on the edge of breaking then we're going to do something about it we don't want that anymore we as as an ex-athlete and as somebody who's coached a lot of well current athletes um i don't i don't want that I i don't think anybody should settle for that i think we should be putting in preventative measures uh, that are going to help our athletes going forward to have the belief system that they are good enough no matter what their body looks like um because when you whittle it down to that is what can destroy people's careers it's so sad it is so sad that just a throwaway comment can literally end up ruining that person's life um and then like i said before they they which is not their fault, but they have to spend their entire lives trying to get back on track. So from learning from what we know, obviously it's hard because it's going to, like I said, if it is institutionalised, it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to be probably a, a lot of generations. Luckily, our generation is quite, from what I know from being part of my generation, is quite proactive in learning and understanding kind of the, the faults that have happened before us. So one thing we can do is we can definitely take the emphasis off body weight and body image. And I'm going to throw an unpopular opinion out there right now because for somebody who obviously has suffered from an eating disorder and speaking on behalf of a couple of people that I know that have, or athletes, sorry, that have suffered from eating disorders, sporting companies where we look at this sort of extrinsic reward for being a particular body type because that is what it is motivated by it is you know what do we think of an athlete that is what it comes back to and we think success they've got their shit sorted i know i promise not to swear but it just seemed appropriate um they've got money they're loved by many people they work hard you know they've got this reward for working hard they've they've uh, kind of thought in the right places um it within life they haven't kind of been taken off track by partying and uh, you know you see these things are like massive regrets when actually it's quite ironic because as an ex-athlete who didn't really tend to go to many parties being younger i kind of wish i'd done the opposite i wish i'd gone and made those memories and had these fun things to be able to tell people and my friends kind of later in life i'm not saying that i'm not fun 
But, you know, like, my friends always seem to have funnier <laughs> stories, whereas I'm like, oh, no, I was just chalking up that day, or, like, I, I did this that day, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, in order to break it, from a societal point of view, is we need to identify what people are seeing every day, you know, what people are exposed to. And if that is those similar body types again and again and again, then it's going to lead to a lot of kind of dissatisfaction with your own body image. Um, So in order to tackle it kind of like from a wider point of view, those companies need to take some responsibility in what they're selling to younger people is not necessarily healthy all the time. So when we look at, I'm not going to name any company names, but I'm guessing you can think of some, and it's not to bash these companies either, as it is to make them aware that they have to include a lot of diverse body types which is great because quite a lot of them are doing it now we look at like Rihanna um with Savage and Fenty like amazing amazing when do we ever see um plus size models and uh, different ethnic oh god if I could talk different ethnicities and different cultures and you know amazing different heights sizes weights hair eye colour, you know, like, all of it, it's brilliant, same as Tala, I went on Tala's website the other day and actually saw, um, a disability, uh, runner, and I thought that was amazing, because do you know what, even studying sport and exercise, we are yet to focus on any sort of Paralympians, and that kind of makes me really mad, but it also reassures my belief that we are very much programmed to think about one able-bodied type of person usually an able-bodied white man and then an able-bodied white woman and then everybody else is just kind of seen as this like you know like other which sucks so the more um exposure you show of different body type the more those individuals can relate to that person and that also provides people with a sense of hope and also drive because when we look at elite athletes and we talk about motivation and what motivates them to be an elite athlete, there's a lot to do with intrinsic motivation. So internal kind of aspects, you know, they want to do it because they they find pleasure in it. It's, it's desirable to them. They want to do well. They're highly driven to do well. There's very little emphasis on the extrinsic motivation. That's, I'm not saying it doesn't occur, but from what we've seen, it elite athletes are very much focused on, I want to do this because I feel like I was meant to do this, relates to um, flow theory as well, where you, you're in this state of mind where you feel like simply you and the thing you've got to do, and musicians talk about it when they write legendary songs, when you've had these historic moments in sport, it's often referred to, or is often implicated in flow, so when it comes to elite athletes, getting them to be intrinsically driven is not an issue. It's it's the wider implications in it. It's this kind of like forcing of them to, to be motivated by something else, which is like body image. I need to look like this because to look like this, it means I'm desirable. It means companies want to sponsor me. It means more money. There's so many more implications than that. So realistically, we need to keep pushing as a society to include more body types. That's also not to say it's gonna, it's negative to be what society wants at the moment. If that is the way you are, that is the way you are, you accept that. The issue is not the individuals, the issue is where the societal spotlight shines. So we need to try and move that, and by moving that is by being unapologetically you, which is terrifying, I know, but it's for the best. So that's the initial thing we can do, is to try and 
keep this kind of exposure of these athletes um positive reinforcement all the time like i'm okay verbal verbal feedback is actually one of the, the weakest forms of um kind of change or motivation but it's not saying it doesn't help at all and to hear it once in a while from people is great it's reassuring to you it perhaps will motivate you to go for another goal or to go to this or whatever but we definitely 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 should not be setting goals that are weight related if we are fit enough you are good enough and that is that that's all we need to know um unfortunately it will be a case of kind of uh desensitizing from what society wants because like i said in de bruyne's study the girls in that study are very much aware that there is a there is a there is a social uh desirability to look a certain way and then there is their athletic version of that body and they're very aware that the two are usually incoherent um or incongruent sorry so whilst we want to keep the oh, the athlete's overall perception of themselves quite big um because obviously that is correlated to having a positive more positive uh, well-being um and less likely to develop things like depression and anxiety we also must remind them that they are significant from the general public in that their abilities and their hard work has landed them in a position where they actually could possibly compete for their country internationally obviously still for their country um but on a world stage um and therefore the necessities of society although it is very hard to say and to actually understand aren't really to do with them um to be honest they shouldn't really be to do with anybody to be a size zero or whatever the heck it is but they definitely are not a trend and they are definitely an athlete within their own right moreover i think there needs to be an emphasis on creating this almost like a more diverse um definition of what an athlete is because we know from even from like child um psychology uh theory things like theory of mind so being able to take on other people's perspectives and understand that people have different beliefs blah 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 actually develops quicker when children are around siblings or around other peers because it puts them in this kind of like exposure of well other perspectives so they therefore will grasp it quicker that other people have different opinions to theirs um so i guess in a sense we could apply that to an athletic um, environment and kind of just keep reassuring our athletes that there is far more to their sport than just their body and that the way they think about themselves in a sort of strange inadvertent way will result in how they behave in their sport in addition to that as well i think there's a lot to be said that um sort of like creativity can actually act as a protective measure for definitely well in terms of personality um they can act as a protective measure against some of the onsets of some certain personality disorders and i think if in the way that you know like tala has been working or in the way that rihanna's kind of like campaigns have been working or gymshark campaigns have been working that it actually inspires a lot of people and can actually be a protective measure. Now, if these companies are then not utilising the fact that they can have these creatives and these um, visionaries, and you often find, obviously, that elite athletes' minds work slightly differently, so it may actually be an aid to encourage this creativity through what they wear, for example, then creativity actually does provide a bit of an outlet. 
And we should be celebrating these athletes' bodies and we should be incorporating every different type of person we possibly can because it would only, you know, it would only serve to produce better equipped not even athletes but people like in general people have this wider sense of what they can do and what can be achieved and all through this idea of creativity and campaigns in different sporting contexts then it it does it, it inspires a lot of people and I think there should be a lot more done with athletes that kind of extrapolates them from a sporting background and puts them into perhaps who they feel like they are in terms of being a creative, in terms of being an academic. It is these constructs that we want to boost in order to put people in a position where they don't feel like their only worth has been whittled down to how much they weigh or how much space they take up in society. That is a preventative measure in itself. And I think that is something that obviously, when you walk into a culture of a sport and there's already these foundations that have been laid down through decades and decades of different sporting abilities and bodies it is hard to teach children that they then don't have to be that because it you know like I say these foundations have already been laid it's up to us to change them now so when children are first introduced to a sport it's not that they are that sport they may take great pride in that and that's great but what we have to understand is that the maladaptive behaviors that it can create through having expectations of somebody and again these expectations aren't you show up to training early you are well-mannered you are polite you are whatever these expectations are often the unwritten ones the ones that we expect you know like all weightlifters are really aggressive for example like that's those are the ones that we need to get on top of and we need to realize that within that sport people can be so beautifully diverse and that's really important that we keep that going so you can see just from i mean you know what i don't know how long this talk is it's probably a long time that body image is far wider than just your physical presence and it is more a question of that person has probably been reduced to feel like they are nothing more than what the food they put in their mouth um, or nothing more than a picture on Instagram or nothing more than a potential partner, which I'm not going to swear, but that was very close. Um, <laughs> so it's about boosting our self-image and the, the constructs that we hold, that we think we are. Like you're not just a runner, for example, you are somebody's daughter, you are somebody's friend, you may be brilliant at music, you may be brilliant at being a good friend, you may be, you may love cooking, you may love drawing, you may love music, you may love so many different things and all of these should be included in your appraisal of what makes you you and it's less about eating the right foods as it is about a greater concept of being more what society expects us to look like and simply by existing and being yourself you are already beating that expectation that you thought you could never be you and be a champion.